Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. So today we're starting a new series in 1 John. We're going to be going through the letter of 1 John. Our series is called Rooted in Truth. And I'm really pumped because I've never taught 1 John before. And so this week, it's been so much fun learning about the story and the context and what was happening at the time that this letter was written. And so that's where we're going to begin today. Every time we start a new series through a book of the Bible here at Brave, we want to do an an overview talk, kind of an introduction. And then we are going to get into the first four verses in the second half of our time together. Okay, so let's begin with some context. Um, We want to know as much about the author, the setting, and the purpose of this book so that we can apply it to our lives. And when we first discover what God was saying way back when to the first audience, then we're able to translate what he would say to us into meaningful application for our lives. And so that's our goal right now as we're getting started, is constructing a perspective that'll help us see what the author was thinking about, uh, who he was writing to, and what he hoped would happen as a result of his letter being read. So for starters, First John, the author is anonymous. Uh, in the writing itself, it doesn't say who wrote it. Many believe 1 John was written by someone referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was John, the son of Zebedee, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, the 12 that that we hear the most about. But there's also another possibility that it was written by a guy who was also an early follower of Jesus, but he wasn't a part of the 12, known as John the Elder. And what's interesting about this is John the Elder actually wrote 2nd and 3rd John. There's two more letters that came after this. But the early church was in agreement. Everyone believed that John the Apostle wrote this letter, 1st John, that we're looking at today. And so a little bit about this guy. He's overseeing a network of house church communities around the area of Ephesus. And 1st John was written around 70 to 80 AD. Their church had recently gone through a crisis. And so that's what's motivating John to write this letter. His mention, he mentions a group of people who have broken off from their church. And, that peop, and these people weren't just looking for better music or better coffee and donuts or uh, kids' activities or whatever. You know, they, the, This was very serious. They broke off because they no longer believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so John's writing to warn the church, those who have stayed that are faithful, hey, when when these people come to you, they're going to look for validation and support, but you're not to give them any. And in a lot of ways, this is really interesting, this letter is damage control. And, And I love this because in some ways, it's kind of encouraging to know that from the very beginning of the church, it was far from perfect. It was far from perfect. There are no perfect churches today, and there were none back then. But what these letters do and what they were intended to do is for this group of people who are still gathering together to worship Jesus, these letters, this, this letter was meant to remind them, God is still with you. The truth still stands. And you can put your faith in this. So 1 John shows us what it looks like to be rooted in truth. Um, have you guys seen the Oakland A's campaign uh, rooted in Oakland? Woo! 
Okay, any A's fans in the house? We got a few. Okay, you guys Giants fans? Like, what's the deal? Um, by the way, I have never lived in a place where I met like so many Dodger fans that were outside of their. Okay, <laughs> they're they're just the loudest, the most obnoxious ever. Okay. But I love the A's new uh, campaign because there's nothing like building a $4 billion stadium that says we're not going anywhere, right? We are rooted in Oakland. You can't move a stadium, right? You don't move a team right after you build a stadium. They've made a commitment that completely roots them. And this is the same level of rootedness that God wants for all of us when it comes to the truth about who he is. To be rooted is to say, I believe this. I am, I am not going anywhere. My faith has been established in this truth. I know this truth. I wonder how many of you in this room know people who you used to go to church with that used to follow Jesus. And then maybe they got, became disillusioned. Or last week, if you missed last week's talk, there was a great teaching on doubt and, and things that people do with doubt that can lead them away from faith rather than God using it to strengthen their faith. Maybe you know people who used to be so passionate about Jesus and that you used to gather with them or serve with them. And then they left the church and over time never really got connected. And the next thing you know, you're not sure if they're a Christian anymore. How does this happen? I have friends from Bible college that have had this experience. I look and I go, how did this happen? And so John is writing to a church that's facing some major issues because there's people that are falling away from their faith in Jesus, but not just falling away. They're trying to convince others to do the same, to believe the way they believe. Uh, sometimes the most anti-Jesus people are people who once knew the truth and have walked away. We say all the time around here that following Jesus was never meant to be done alone. One of the reasons is because you can't stay rooted in the truth if you aren't rooted in a truth-based community. It's in deep and committed relationships that we grow in what is true and good and loving. Through the diversity of perspectives, the different gifts, the different personalities, together, we gain a more full view of who God is, what he's like, and even a more full view of who we are and who God created us to be. It helps us to see one another more like God does. I love that God has given us this amazing gift called the church. I love the church. C.S. Lewis, a famous author, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, but also a lot of stuff about God. Uh, he shares a story in an interview that is, is really helpful in kind of understanding how, just how much we need one another. Uh, he's talking about these two friends. And they would meet up every week. They're best friends. And they would hang out together, enjoy one another's company. And then sadly, one day, one of the friends died. And so they mourned him, but then they were trying to find the silver lining, like, hey, what good can come out of this? And so what they thought of was, well, hey, he's no longer with us, but we're still going to have all this time together, just the two of us. And so now we'll get to know each other in, in a deeper way, because we have more time to talk, just the two of us. But unfortunately, it didn't work that way. Once this friend was no longer with them, what he brought out of them what his presence meant to their dynamic, their relationship, the part of, uh, of their personalities that came out when they were with him was no longer appearing. In community, we bring things out of one another. God's vision for his church is that we would bring the best out of one another. 
build one another up. And when we do, we actually gain a more full understanding of who God is. We start to see ourselves more like God does. Um, every follower of Jesus needs a truth-based community, AKA the church. In 1 John, we see what being rooted looks like. Now, you can be rooted in all sorts of things. Your root system can decay. It can rot. Sometimes we don't even see what's happening because roots are below the surface. And then the next thing you know, everything above is, is toppled over. It's blowing away. It's a disaster. I believe being rooted in the truth means this. And, and sometimes I think we need to be reminded of this. It's in the Gospel of John 14.6. And these are the words of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot claim Christianity and walk away from this truth. You cannot know God if you don't know and believe this truth. Turn to the person next to you and say, what are you rooted in? What are you rooted in? I'm curious what you guys are saying. <laughs> One of the things that is uh, really interesting about 1 John is that it doesn't read like a letter at all. It reads more like a po poetic sermon that's being delivered to these different churches. And it's also really interesting that John doesn't claim to be sharing anything new. Uh, he knows that everything he's sharing was already said by Jesus in the Gospels. So why write something that's already been said? Why write something that's already been written before? The truth is everything that we can ever teach from God's word has already been taught. What makes it powerful is when it's prophetic, meaning from God to a people, time, and culture. Um, sometimes we get so caught up listening for something new or something that we've never heard before or we've never learned that we miss out on what we need to be reminded of right now. Let me say that again. Uh, something, sometimes we get so caught up listening for something new we miss out on what we need to hear right now. Uh, and so it's what God wants to say to you right now that will deepen your roots. As we begin 1 John, I believe that God wants to remind us of something, something he reminded the church way back when that he wants to remind us today, and that is to stay rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. And the way John does this isn't in a typical linear way like often is most communication with these different points or this different progression, right? He takes an approach of ancient rhetoric known as amplification. Uh, John was just, has just a few core ideas that he wants to communicate about life and truth and love. And he cycles around these ideas over and over again throughout the letter. And in each pass, he offers a little more to the picture, approaches it at a different angle. And you get this bigger, more full view of what he's trying to say. I would encourage you this week, as we're just starting this series, we're going to be in 1 John for the next 12 weeks. And, and I would encourage you, set aside 20, 30 minutes and read this letter out loud. It won't take you very long, but read it out loud. There's something about when you read it out loud that you pick up on things. You go, oh, man, that's, that sounds familiar, but it's a little different. And I would just encourage you to do that this week. And, and so what you'll find is these different themes are being repeated. And each time you gain more understanding. And John uses extremes like light and dark, love and hate, good and evil. And even though it's really simple, it's really profound. John's ultimate goal is to show us and to show people how to walk in the light 
to keep Jesus's commands and to really love one another. John wants to show us how to be rooted in truth, what living out this truth looks like. So let's turn in our Bibles or on your phones to 1 John, and we're going to read the first four verses together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let's pray. God, I pray for all of us in this room, wherever we're coming from in our beliefs and our faith, maybe some who don't know you that um, are searching and exploring, I pray that they would find what they're looking for. God, for those of us who are following, I pray that we would be reminded of truth, that we would be encouraged and also challenged. Uh, Most of all, God, I pray that we would be open to hearing what it is that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today, we're going to look back at these verses, and and we're going to find and discover three signs that tell us we're rooted, three signs you're rooted in truth. What does it mean to be rooted in truth? Uh, For starters, we find a clue in the first part of verse 1. It says, that which was from the beginning. This phrase, from the beginning, is a hyperlink to the fourth gospel, John's gospel, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, those reading 1 John would immediately recognize this phrase. For some of you, maybe when we read that, it sounded kind of familiar. You're like, I think I've heard something like this before. So this, this phrase points to the truth that Jesus has been around since the very beginning. Even though he came to Earth much later, he is God, and he has always been God. So the first few words remind us that Jesus has existed since the beginning, that which was from the beginning. Then it goes on, it says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Whenever John says we, he's referring to himself or anyone who was an eyewitness that saw Jesus in human form. We are people who experienced Jesus in human form. And we have a message for you, which is the next generation and future generations of Jesus followers. Uh, John is talking about a person who he had a sensory experience with. He, he saw Jesus. He felt him. He touched him. He, he heard the words of Jesus straight from his voice. Have you ever had an experience that, that marked you? It, it, it was memorable. You've never forgotten it. It was so vivid. I grew up in Northern California, and so our beaches are kind of cold compared to Southern California. But I'll never forget the first time I went swimming. We were in Monterey, and it was a sunny day. And I remember running into the ocean and feeling the the crash of the waves pulling in different directions. I remember the the taste of the salt from the water as it's dripping down my face, the sand that you feel between your toes. I remember the, the waves could pull me out to sea or could throw me back up on the shore. One of the signs that you're being rooted in truth is you've had an authentic experience with God. This proclamation of the word of life is, is, in verse 1, is coming from an eyewitness. 
someone who has had a real experience with Jesus. And John, he represents the first generation of Jesus' followers, someone who was alive to see and experience Jesus. But apparently, because he says it further down, this same powerful faith can be passed down in a very real way, even to those who haven't personally, physically, or even heard or touched Jesus. John's writing to people who weren't eyewitnesses so that they can be reminded of their own authentic experiences that they have had. Their faith can be just as rooted as John's. Uh, to the, the expression to touch with the hands is found here only in the New Testament. But the verb to touch, selafao, occurs just three other places. In Acts 17.27, where it has a metaphorical sense. It's not literal, OK? It's talking about a feeling after God, a pursuit of God. And so John, he's saying that they proclaim this, that they proclaim this experience. And it's clear from the context with the way John's talking about his experience that what he's not talking about is just passing on a message, just passing on something that he's heard. He's talking about a message that has been embodied in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. An experience with Jesus can be just as real and authentic for us today as it was for the early Jesus followers, OK? And so by the power of God's spirit, he is still revealing himself to us. And that's why testimony, the, you've maybe heard the word testimony. When someone shares their testimony, that's why it's so powerful, because they're sharing from their experience. For some, you've had an experience with God where it was undeniable. Maybe you felt something from the inside. Maybe for others, it was the way circumstances unfolded, and they, they pointed you to God. You're like, there is no way this just happened. Or maybe you've had a sense that God loves you through your interactions with other Jesus followers. You felt the love of God through community, and it pointed you to him. There are so many ways that we tangibly experience God, but the point is, that when we have an authentic experience, truth is taking root. It's one of the signs. So let's continue. Verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and has appeared to us. Another sign that you're being rooted in truth is number two, Jesus is at the center of your belief system. He is at the center of your belief system. In Jesus, God walked with humankind. And anyone who came in contact with that reality, anyone who saw, heard, touched, experienced the human reality of Jesus could not make that an any less pivotal thing than the most impactful experience they've had in their lives. I mean, it, it, it changed everything, OK? And so John isn't trying to make a point. He's not debating with facts and logic. He's saying, hey, this is. This is my reality. This is what I experienced when I encountered Jesus. And so this is really, really important for us because sometimes, as followers of Jesus, we can fall into this, this trap of feeling like that we don't know enough, that we don't know enough evidence. And I'm not saying we shouldn't study, but that we don't have enough evidence, that we don't have a good enough argument. Why am I not able to talk people into believing the way I believe? Well, that's not usually how it works. And that's not what John's doing here. His authority rests completely on what he knows to be true because he's touched it, because he's heard it, because he's seen it with his own eyes. This is his testimony. So to John, Jesus isn't just an idea or an enlightening message. Jesus is a person. 
And the belief that Jesus is a real person is at the center of everything. If Jesus wasn't real, none of this stuff matters. Uh, George Barner reports that in the United States, over 90% of the population believes in a god or gods that have power over the universe. And so as a result, there's a lot of religious tolerance and experimentation. But among adults who simply called themselves regular church attendees, 62% said they believed all religions essentially prayed to the same god. According to this, and I, th I think these stats are a little high, According to these stats, 2 thirds of the people attending Christian churches do not believe in the exclusive character of the Christian message. Uh, this is a huge point of tension. And I think part of it is because for most people, we don't believe anything that we don't like. Uh, I wonder, what do you believe is true, but you don't like it? Usually, we settle right into what fits preferences or, or is comfortable to believe within our culture or those that we're close to. Uh, but I wonder who Jesus is to you. Who is Jesus? One of my professors gave me this really helpful grid for prioritizing different beliefs. And I want to share this with you. Uh, the first category is stuff that we get to decide for. This is like hair length, okay, skinny jeans, relaxed fit. Uh, when is Jesus coming back? When will the rapture happen? Okay, Generally, there's not a lot of division over these things. Uh, but then there's things that we debate for. These are things like divorce and remarriage, uh, the date of creation, when was the world created, who can baptize people, which is uh, it, you know, tension, but, but it's not as extreme as what we get to next. And so the next category is things we divide for, which isn't nearly necessarily what we should do. Okay, however, these are things that we believe that often impact our ability to work together, to live together, to, uh, to be in unity together. And so some examples of this would be the role of women in leadership, uh, social justice versus evangelism and discipleship. For some people, uh, the church should all be, always be about uh, feeding the poor. For others, it should be all about reaching the lost. Okay? And sometimes we go to these extremes where it's like, I can't even, even serve God with you because this is what it should all be about. Okay? Or, or different formats, different structures of churches. Right? Like Some churches gather like this in a large uh, auditorium or also in small homes. Some churches only do small homes. Some churches only do this. Okay? And so for me, one of the ones that would be a challenge or a divide for, for me is our view of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Spirit of God is just as active today as from the beginning. I believe that God is working in our, in our hearts and in our lives, is empowering us with giftings, is still healing. I believe God is still doing miracles through his Spirit today. Okay, So that would be a challenge for me to be a part of a church or a ministry that didn't believe that, though I have many friends that are. But here's the irony. Most of the stuff in this category is stuff that we won't fully understand until we can get to heaven and ask God himself, which is also why it's so important that we approach these issues with humility and we err on the side of unity. Now, here's where the heat really turns up. Okay, The last category, and this is the highest level of belief, is what we would die for. What would we die for? Meaning, I'll go to the grave for this one. You can't know for sure what you would do if someone put a gun to your head for your beliefs. But you can know what you'd hope that you would do. And, and I pray and I hope that we never experience 
the life and death context of what we believe. But all around the world, there are people that that is their daily reality. Their belief in Jesus puts their life at risk. And since the very beginning of the church, this has been a reality. I read a story this week that illustrates the tension of where we put our beliefs really well. You know, that's, that's the, prob- the challenge, right, is, hey, wh- what beliefs are worth dying for? What, that one's a little more clear. Which ones do we divide or debate for? How do we reason these things out? Um, this is a true story about a girl who was going to Harvard's Divinity School. And upon learning that one of her professors was agnostic, which means that someone believes nothing can be known about the existence or the nature of God. Okay, That's what it means to be agnostic. And so one of her professors was agnostic. So she inquired about the range of diversity on the seminary campus. And she was confused. How is an agnostic teaching theology? So she asked. And basically, the response was, anything goes. So she pursued her point. You mean no belief or absence of belief would keep someone from being hired to teach theology? And then they said only one, the refusal to endorse women's ordination. That was the divide for issue for Harvard. Um, You can teach theology and not even believe in the existence of God as long as you support women's rights. Now, if you're new to Brave, we have women pastors. We believe in them. People have left our church because they believe differently on that issue. That's where we stand. But check this out. According to John, the starting point or the litmus test of Christian theology isn't any of these issues that people might divide over. John is arguing that the most central belief is and always will be when it comes to Christianity is what we believe about Jesus. Listen, for every Christian, everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, this belief is a to die for, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Rooted faith always keeps Jesus at the center. GM Burge writes, the particularity of Jesus Christ is the scandal of Christianity that sets us apart from the world. Christology is the one theme that we cannot jettison, no matter what the benefit or what the temptation. Some of you here today are exploring faith, and we love that you're here. You're not sure what you would die for, let alone what you believe yet. I mean, you're just on a different place in this journey. And Brave is a place where everyone is welcome on that journey. And we're so glad that you're here. But what I want you to know is that I would die for my belief in Jesus But it's not because I've been talked into it. It's not because I've been debated into it. It's not even because I've seen enough evidence. It's because I have had real and undeniable experiences with God. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he forgives my sins. And I believe that I can live with him for eternity and that he offers eternal life. And this belief demands my total allegiance to the things I like, to the things I don't like. My allegiance is tested. My allegiance will be tested by how I treat others. My allegiance will be tested by my belief in Jesus when it's not popular to believe in Jesus. My allegiance will be tested by how I handle offenses and unforgiveness. My allegiance will be tested by what I do with my resources. In a culture and an area that is known for its greed, my allegiance will be tested when I give to Jesus and his church. What you do with your resources, and I'm not just talking about money, it shows where your treasure is. That is a test of loyalty. 
to people John was writing to, the people he was writing to were being tested. Would they stay rooted in the truth? They needed to be reminded that Jesus is the center. They needed a fresh reminder that this whole thing doesn't work without Jesus. I've seen God work in my life. I've had all of these different experiences where I feel like he's guided me and spoken to me. And then I've seen the outcome of following that guidance. I've felt God's protection in my life. I've asked God to fill me with his spirit. And I felt overwhelmed by it and overwhelmed by the love that I felt. Maybe some of you need to be reminded today that Jesus is a real person. He's not just an idea. He's not just an enlightening thought. He's not just a tradition. He is a person. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Our third sign of being rooted in truth is when Jesus is at the center of your relationships. When Jesus is at the center of your relationships, John's emphasis here is pastoral and practical. His mind is on the fabric of Christian community and how it's being robbed of joy by people who are challenging others' belief in Jesus. And, and there's an assumption here that intimate Christian community is only possible when there's an agreement about who Jesus is and his presence. The term fellowship is one of those common words that can get thrown around a lot. And I think it can kind of lose meaning for a lot of people, because it just becomes code for hanging out, being with other Christians, maybe. And then for others, maybe you have no clue what it means. And uh, I'm sorry, this, th there's, it's not a secret code word or anything. Uh, we, we try to use language that people can understand readily. But this word is rich with meaning. And so let's unpack this for a second here. It's the word quanonia, which implies a personal relationship with God and others. When you think about fellowship, think of a triangle. Christian fellowship is a person and their relationship with God, another person and their relationship with God, and us being united through this shared experience with the person of Jesus. He's at the center of it. He's in the mix. And in some cases, it even includes this idea of a shared commitment to a mission. The purpose of John's letter is fellowship, so that you also may have fellowship with us. This is the crux of John's thought, the purpose of his writing. This is the difference between the kind of community that we might find joining a clubhouse, doing CrossFit, or even volunteering with people for a nonprofit. It's the difference between people who are gathering together because they have shared interests or even the same intellectual consensus and they just want to learn together. The church is so different than that. It's a partnership of sharing life and purpose with people who have had the same experience with Jesus. When we talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives, when we share about our experience with the person of Jesus, that is one of the ways that God roots our faith. It's one of the ways that we stay rooted in truth. And the substance and the glue of this community is and will always be Jesus. When he is at the center of our lives, the center of our relationships, what is the net result? What's the byproduct of that? John tells us right here that it is joy. Joy on good days, joy when we gather, even joy in our trials. 
And I love that John emphasizes this because you almost don't see it coming. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about our beliefs, the truth, our experiences with Jesus, all the stuff that's going on. And then at the end, he ends with joy. I wonder if with all that John was going through, all of the, the drama and the tension and the pain caused by these deceivers, if what he's wanting people to know is that doesn't have to rob you of your joy. This is God's heart for us, that the more we include Jesus and interact with Jesus in our lives, that we would experience joy more consistently. Imagine a group of people in the Tri-Valley. Imagine what we could be together, the kind of impact as we are marked by joy. What if sharing your faith with your neighbors or your coworkers actually starts with them experiencing you and wondering, what is this source of joy? Why are you so consistently joyful? And they'll probably think you're on some weird diet or some crazy health kick, right? But what if that led to conversations about the joy that you experience because your life is rooted in truth? As we close today, I know some of you are being reminded and inspired by what you already believe. You're being reminded of what you have experienced. For others, maybe you're being challenged by this truth. And I hope that you'll join us this series and you'll explore and lean into this on your own. But for others, maybe you are realizing that you're not as rooted as you thought and that you're not as focused on Jesus and the truth of Jesus as you thought. And your joy fluctuates so much. And I believe what God wants to say to you is, hey, come back to me. Don't come back just to what you believe about me, but come back to me as a person. Come back to spending time with me. Come back to getting to know me. Come back to letting me speak into your life. Can I pray for you if you'd bow your heads? God, we know that there is so much joy in you, that there is so much joy to be experienced. But God, I pray for all of us here today that that we would be reminded of the truth, the foundation of our, of our lives, of our eternity. God, I pray for those, uh, again, that are seeking, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would have an authentic experience with you, that you would meet them in the way that they will know that it is you. And God, I pray for all of us that we would be encouraged, that we would be uplifted. God, that this week we would have such beautiful and intimate time with you, that you would speak and we would hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.